Amen. So we're in a series in Micah. We've been looking at a chapter a week. Um, and we've been asking ourselves the question every week, um, who needs Christmas? And we've been looking at Christmas through this book of Micah, and hopefully we're beginning to see that Christmas, the Christmas story is not some random event that just happened, that it's an integral part of creation history, that God in his sovereignty, that God in his redemptive plan that's overarching all of time would come, and he would come into a broken world, that God would come into a lost world that is hopeless and absolutely helpless to do anything, and God would come and meet this great need of redemption. And one thing that we've seen in the book of Micah is that it graphically shows us how deep the hole that humanity has dug. It's showing us how deep we've got ourselves down and the the effects of rejecting God, the effects of turning away from God and his loving instruction and how all of creation, how all of history refines itself into this context at Christmas that we're in need of an intervention and God must come. And that's what Christmas is. It's this great moment of grace that God comes that God does intervene, that God comes in the flesh, that there is good news at Christmas, that you and I, humanity, can now have peace with God, that we might have redemption, that there truly is this opportunity to be set free from slavery to our own sin, and that we can be reconciled, we can have relationship with the Creator God, and He comes, and He intervenes. Grace has come, and life can be found. And Micah has been unpacking this for us, and he is looking forward to this moment of Christmas. He's looking forward in the mess and in his warning, he's still looking forward with great hope to this moment of intervention of God. And we are, in essence, we're looking back. We're looking back into history, thousands of years ago, at this defining moment of all of humanity. And for some of us, and for many, it's probably so far away. We're so probably so disconnected in time from it. We might even have been left over the last few weeks and this morning asking ourselves, why then do we need Christmas? It's something that happened so far away and so long ago. And therein lies your answer. And when you ask that question, therein lies your problem. And therein lies humanity's problem. We need Christmas because we are forgetful people. We suffer from spiritual amnesia. We constantly need to be reminded of the saving grace of God because we forget. We forget so quickly. And when we forget, what happens? When you forget about the saving grace of God, when you forget about the mighty saving acts of God in your life and in history, we tend to lose our way in the futility of our own choices. And we see the destructive consequences of our sin, and we see that in the book of Micah, how the people of Israel have forgotten, and they've turned away from God, and it's a complete and utter mess. And Christmas is a great reminder to us. Christmas is this moment to call us back. Christmas is a moment of drawing us down and back into the magnificent, unfathomable, glorious riches of the joy, the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the peace that God has brought. And Christmas is a remembrance monument that stands in the middle of time, drawing everybody back and reminding us of the good news, of the life-giving riches, because we forget and we're prone to lose our way. 
And if there is a secret, if there is such a thing, a silver bullet in the spiritual life, the Christian journey, I would say one of the things that I've come to learn is the art of remembrance. To progress actually in the Christian life, to grow in your love and joy and experience of God actually is a requirement to go backwards, not forwards. There's this call in the Bible, there's this call in the scriptures, is to daily go back in order to go forwards. You must go back and remind yourself of the gospel. You must go back and remind yourself of the goodness of God in the act of salvation. Because the saving act of God in my life and the saving act of God in all your lives is this defining moment of your true identity. It's the very source of your life. It's your purpose. It's your power. It's your meaning. It's your liberation. It is God's goodness and love that has been lavished upon you. And if we are to grow, we need to remember that because that's what shapes us. That's what defines us. That's what leads us. That's what liberates us. And if you look at the scriptures, what you will find is throughout the Bible, there is this continual theme of remember. I'll give you two examples just to lay the foundation and help us. Uh, In the second book of Peter, the apostle Peter, he writes this in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, he's speaking about the work of the Spirit and the gospel, the, your salvation. He's speaking about there's this kindness and there's this gentleness and this holiness that will be developing in you. And if you grow in these, he says, they will keep you. This gospel in you will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. Why do we become nearsighted and blind? You have forgotten. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sin. What he's saying is you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten what God has done. You've forgotten who he is. You've forgotten the grace of God in your life. And the resultant effect is we become nearsighted and blind. We become inefficient and unproductive. We lose our way and we slowly drift. Forgetfulness is one of our greatest struggles in our Christian spiritual journey. We forget what Jesus has done. We forget that he's entered into the world at Christmas, that he humbles himself to be a lowly human being, that he takes our sin upon himself, that he becomes our sin offering, that he pays the price for our sin with his life that we might get his life, and he defeats the stronghold of slavery and the blindness that we find ourselves in to liberate us into the freedom and the purpose of what true humanity is lived in relationship with God. And when we forget, we like a boat that hasn't been tied to the jetty. And what happens when a boat's not tied to the jetty? It slowly begins to drift. It drifts downstream and it gets further and further and further away from the grace of God and the goodness of God. And remembering, in essence, is being tied to the jetty of God's grace. Remembering is tying yourself to the jetty of God's goodness. And all of humanity suffers from spiritual amnesia. And this was what we see the root cause of Israel's destruction and Israel's lostness. Their repeated failures throughout history are the result of them forgetting. They forgot that God had chosen them. They forgot that God had saved them. They forgot that God had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt into the flourishing of the land of Canaan. They forgot of all the blessings that God had called them into in a covenant relationship of his goodness 
to them. And Micah is this picture of a people who've forgotten. And they're a people who are in desperate need of Christmas. Like we today are in desperate need of a reminder of the wonder and the purpose of Christmas. I'll give you another example. The people of Israel. This is one of my favorite examples. This was a defining moment for me in my spiritual journey. It's in Numbers chapter 11, and verse 4. And it's the people of Israel. They've been delivered by God out of slavery. They're now out of Egypt, and they're on their way towards the promised land, and they're journeying through the desert. And what we find for them is that they're very unhappy. They are moaning and unsatisfied and very ungrateful. And in fact, it's got so bad, they want to go back to Egypt. Now, you have to comprehend this. They want to go back to Egypt. And this is what they say. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, I mean, I love the Bible. It's like, if we could only eat meat, remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the garlic, the onions. I mean, these are people who were in slavery, under mass genocide, and they're longing for the leeks and the onions. It's, it's laughably funny, but it's, The spiritual amnesia is so destructive. They were in slavery, being whipped every moment of their lives. Their families were murdered. Their babies were stolen and killed. And what do we find them going? Ah, the leeks. The onions. And you see what spiritual amnesia does? It creates a self-justification. You can convince yourself of anything. The fish is free. It's free. Oh, let's go back to mass genocide. It's free. Can you see how spiritual amnesia destroys and leads you astray? And they had forgotten what God had done. They had forgotten what it was like. They had forgotten about what God had called them to. They had forgotten what God was currently doing for them. They had forgotten that God had parted the Red Sea. They had forgotten that God had sent all these plagues and mightily demonstrated his power. They had forgotten that every single day that God was miraculously providing food and their substance for them. They forgot all this. Oh, the leeks. Give me a cucumber. <laughs> and when you forget... Garlic and leeks and onions seem like a better option. And things get out of control from there. But we shouldn't think we're any better. What does Jesus do in the New Testament? What does Jesus do before he leaves? He gives us what? Communion. The Lord's Supper. It's a graphic depiction of our salvation. Jesus' death and resurrection. Our sin and his offering. Our death and his life. And what does Jesus say? Why must you do this? Do this in remembrance of me. At the heart of our spiritual journey, at the heart of our lostness and our failing, is this forgetfulness. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And Christmas is this moment of remembrance. It's a marker in time that is to bring us back daily to be reminded of the gospel. And we need Christmas like the people of Israel needed Christmas to remind us because we're forgetful. And three things that Micah shows us this morning is that we forget the saving acts of God. He shows us that we forget how we relate to God. Because when you forget God's saving acts, you you stop relationship with him, right? You forget how to relate to him. 
And then ultimately you forget the righteous requirements that he calls us to. And what you see is what we see in Israel, society and everything begins to break down when we totally live completely adrift from the grace of God. So should we be reminded briefly today, let's trust the Spirit of God to warm our hearts again with this good news. So what he does is Micah calls everyone together. God has got a case to bring against his people. He calls all of creation, the mountains and the people, and he says, I have a case, I have an indictment to bring against you. And at the core of God's argument, at the fundamental core of God's accusation and case he has against Israel is forgetfulness. And everything is now flowing out of that forgetfulness. He starts with this question. Verse 3. What have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. And what's rooted in this question is an assumption that the people of Israel had felt that God had let them down. They had felt that God had burdened them in some way. They had felt that God hadn't kept his promises. They, they had ultimately begun to become tired and bored with God. Their hearts were becoming cold to the goodness of God. And that's not uncommon for us. It's not, that's not uncommon for me. And as I reflect on my time in church, uh, engaging with many people over many years, one of the most common things I've seen is this slow growing of a cold heart towards God. Apathy, indifference, and boredom. No longer do I see, some, most often people not filled with joy and the life and the appreciation and energy towards God. But what do they feel? They, they feel hard done by They feel that God hasn't kept his side of the bargain. They feel that God doesn't care. And there's too many rules. And and, and when you start to drift and when you start to forget, you begin to assume these things. And what happens is we see God's got too many rules. His rules are trying to prevent me from having fun. My greatest pleasures in life are now prevented from me having because God doesn't look after my best interests. And the, the heart grows cold. The loving instruction of God no longer leads to life, but it's seen as an obstacle to life. There is often an indifference or an apathy or a pushback. Yeah, we have to pause for a moment and answer the question. And I, I know God isn't that facetious, but maybe in my sinfulness, as I was reading this, I almost had this picture where God, like looking at us, scratching his chin, going, So Quentin, so Parkus, tell me, am I correct in saying that my delivering you from mass genocide is burdensome and boring? Is it boring to you? Answer me. Oh, you're bored and burdened. What about the mass genocide? Forgive me if I'm wrong. But I know God's not that sarcastic or facetious, but he wants to remind us. I want to get to our heart. He wants to remind us of his saving acts. He does this to reawaken us, to revive our cold hearts, to warm hearts, that we might be filled with the beauty and the wonder and the pleasure and the joy of the life that God has purchased for us. And so he recounts for them their historical salvation history. He goes back and he says, let me remind you what I've done. Verse 4, I brought you up out of Egypt. I've redeemed you from the land of slavery. What he's saying is, I haven't let you down. I've lifted you up. I've saved you. I haven't burdened you. I've set you free. I've liberated you. I have delivered you. I have rescued you. But you've forgotten. 
I've brought you out of slavery in Egypt and I've put you into freedom. And surely some fish, cucumber and leek is worth the cost. Surely all of these other things would pale into significance when you grasp and when you remember the full magnitude of what I've done. You've forgotten how lost you were. You've forgotten how sin kills you. And you've forgotten how I've saved you and I've set you free. Richard Phillips says this. Every believer can see a similar redemption in the cross of Christ. Everyone who's come to faith in Jesus can see this Egypt liberation moment in the cross of Jesus personally in your life. We were slaves in bondage to sin, held fast in its power, condemned by its guilt. But God had mercy and sent his son to receive sin's punishment in our place on the cross. Remembering this great salvation. How can we grow bored with God? How can we resent his discipleship? That's his loving instruction. How can we? God hasn't let us down. God has lifted us up from our sin. And my friends, this morning, on this we must meditate. Never, never move away from this foundational, life-defining, identity-forming good news. The salvation of God in your life. Never forget. And Micah continues. He can't stop there. God continues and he gives us so many different angles of the saving acts of God. He says, not only do I save you out of slavery into freedom. He says, I lead you. Verse 4, I sent Moses to lead you. Aaron and Miriam. See, God doesn't just save his people to nothing. God doesn't save you to nothing. He doesn't just dump them in the middle of the desert and leave them, right? What is the story? He leads them to the promised land. He has the fullness of his promises in the land of Canaan prepared for them. He saves them from slavery to lead them into the fullness of his promises for them. And God's salvation of your life isn't just to save you to nothing. It's to save you to his purpose. It's to save you with your meaning. It's to save you and to lead you by his word, by his spirit, into the truth of his promises and the fullness of life that he has for you. That you truly might know what it means to be a human being created by God to exist in relationship with him here and now and for all eternity God doesn't save you to nothing the Bible says the truth will set you free there's the leading of God the instruction of God the loving guidance of God to bring you out of Egypt and to lead you through the desert of life ultimately into the fullness of the land of Canaan and his promises it's not to restrict us It's not to enslave you. It's not to steal from you. The truth of God is to liberate you. The truth of God is to bring you alive. And this is the good news of Christmas, that God is saving us, but God is also leading us into the fullness of his blessings and promises. And Christmas is this moment to remind us of this life, that Jesus, that God has come to lead us into the fullness of his promise. God has entered into your life, not just to redeem you, but to lead you. And Christmas is this moment of the coming, and the Christmas is the decoration of God's leading of all of creation to its purpose in the fullness of his presence. (laughs) It's great news. Not only does he save us, not only does he lead us, God continues. He says he blesses us. I love this. He says, 
God is actively intervening in our life at every step of the way to bless us, to protect us, and provide us. Verse 5. See, these random verses in the Bible have so much power. If you just stop and look at them, he says, My people, I love God's heart, my people, I still love you. Remember, Balak, king of Moab, plotted what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. So this is a story of the of their journey out of Egypt into the promised land. So there were many nations along the way who wanted to destroy Israel. They despised Israel. They wanted to break Israel down. They wanted to create fear and division. And one of the ways these guys operated was this king of Moab had a prophet called Balaam, and he had this mystical, supernatural power to bring curses that would create confusion and destruction and fear in people that would break them down and they would run away. And every time the king of Moab brought this prophet to Curse the nation of Israel. What did God do if you remember the story? He put words of blessing in the prophet's mouth. And he spoke blessing over the people of Israel. And it encouraged them. And it strengthened them. And it united them. And it propelled them forward. Because God was with them. The people of Israel had the blessing of God. And this, this truth is that God is actively intervening. God is actively seeking to protect them on their journey. God is ensuring that not only does he deliver them out of Egypt, not only does he lead them, but on top of that he wants to bless them. He wants to provide for them. He wants to protect them along the way. And we, as followers of Jesus, must not forget the daily intervention in our lives as we journey through life. That we might face many challenges, complex situations, disappointments, heartache and pain, but the overarching truth that you mustn't forget that God is with you, God is intervening, God is working, God is seeking to bring blessing, protection and provision. And Christmas, Christmas is the reminder that God intervenes. God breaks into time and space. God breaks into the world. God breaks into my life. God breaks into your life with his provision and with his acts and his words of blessing and grace over you. Lest we forget. Christmas is this monument of remembrance of the great goodness of the saving acts of God. He doesn't stop there. You see, the gospel is endless. He carries on. He says, not only does he save us, not only does he lead us, not only does he want to bless us, he protects us. You see, God wants to remind us in all of this, in his saving acts, that he's absolutely sovereign. That God protects us in his sovereign power and oversight. That nothing exists outside of his sovereign power and his salvation over you and over history. It's good news. Look at verse 5. Remember your journey to the poorly named city, Shittim, to Gilgal. What he's saying is this is a moment where the, 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 the nation of Israel had finally got to the promised land. They were finally on the cusp of receiving the fullness of God's promises of the land. And they're in the wilderness, and it's these this two camps. They moved across the River Jordan. And if you go read the account in Joshua, it says the River Jordan was in flood. And just like God did at the Red Sea, what does God do at the River Jordan? He backs up the flooding mighty Jordan River into a wall of water that the whole nation of Israel walk across on dry ground. 
God in his salvation is at work overseeing every step of your life, ensuring that it will be brought to its safe destination and final conclusion. Even so much so that his people can enter into the promised land with dry feet. It's miraculous that God is sovereign and he's working in everything. What does Paul tell us in Philippians 1.8? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Don't forget, God hasn't forgotten. God hasn't deserted you. He hasn't left you in slavery. He hasn't deserted you in the desert. He's pushing back the Jordan. He's leading you into the promised land. The sovereign power of God is at work in every aspect of your life, in every day, bringing about his good purposes for your freedom, for your joy, and absolute pleasure. God wants us to know the mighty acts of his salvation, the righteous acts of his deliverance. And he wants to remind them that he hasn't let them down. He hasn't burdened them. In fact, he saved them. The reality should draw them and it should draw us into grateful, thankful response of thanksgiving. God doesn't leave his people to defend for themselves. He doesn't leave them in slavery or stuck in the desert. But he provides saving grace at every point of the way. So that today, I might look and you might look to God with thanks. And be reminded of his great provision for our journey through life, right now. And Christmas, therefore, is a reminder to forgetful people of the coming of God. He has come to save, and he's come to deliver. Like he did in Egypt, he now comes for us. And Christmas is this saving moment that we need to be reminded and tie ourselves afresh to the jetty of God's grace. Tie yourself back to the jetty of God's grace this morning and be warmed in your heart that there is a God who has come for you. Not only did they forget the saving acts of God, they forgot how to relate to God. See, when you forget God's salvation, the relationship begins to break down. And Micah, as I said, is a testament to this destruction. And when you're not anchored to the jetty of God's grace, you begin to forget what it's like to relate to God. You have nothing, therefore, to be thankful for. You have nothing that connects you to God. And you slowly stop relating to God. And eventually, you completely forget. And when this sets in, you become like the boat who isn't moored to the jetty, who's cast off into the storm waters of the river, washed about by life and ultimately washes up on the rocks of your own sinful destruction. That's what happens. That's what we see in Micah. They've completely forgotten. And how do they respond? Well, verse 6, they don't know how to respond. They have no clue. Look what he says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before the exalted God? These are the people of God. They don't even know how to come to God anymore. Can you see the effect? They've completely forgotten how to relate to God. And no longer is this relationship a a responsive one. No longer is this relationship one filled with thanksgiving and awe and wonder of gratitude towards God. But this relationship is completely flipped on its head now. And it's a relationship that's based on performance. It's a burdensome relationship. And they've even said so. It's a performance-based, trying to earn God's acceptance. What must we do? What must we do now to be acceptable to you? 
Can you see it's moved from a response of thanksgiving to an earning and desiring and, and, and trying to self-justify oneself? Verse 7 gives us that answer. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Like how will I be acceptable to God? Will he be pleased with me? You see, they've forgotten how to relate to God. God doesn't relate to us on the basis of us pleasing him, right? And they, it gets totally out of control. They forget the grace of God. And now they're trying to earn God's acceptance. And anyone who's trying to relate to God on this basis will become bored and burdened, apathetic and indifferent. Because you'll never be able to justify yourself. You'll always feel hard done by that God isn't giving you what you think you deserve. Look what I've done. What have you done? Can you see the downward spiral is when you forget the saving grace of God. You forget how to relate to him and you begin to relate to him on the basis of your works and your performance. And that is always going to result in boredom and apathy. And they go on. Must we give you a thousand rams? The most expensive. First year rams, most expensive. Then, they, Well, if it's not the most expensive, we'll give you the most. We'll give you a thousand rams. We'll give you a thousand rivers of oil. And it gets totally out of control. Shall we then sacrifice our own children so that we could atone for our sin, they say. It's crazy. They want to commit a sin to atone for sin. They want to kill their own children so that they can be acceptable to God. And when you get on the wheel of performance, the grace of God is gone. You are destroyed. And they lose their way. See, what they've forgotten is that God had already atoned for their sins. They've forgotten that God has already accepted them. God had already chosen them as his very own people. That God hadn't forgotten and God was already delighting them as his own prized possession, as his own people. They've forgotten the grace of God. And we should remember this Christmas that this is the gift of grace. And this is how God relates to us. So when they were saved out of slavery in Egypt, what happened? What did they do? On what basis did God save them out of Egypt? It has to be grace. They couldn't save themselves. They were absolutely powerless to overthrow Pharaoh. They were hopeless and helpless. And God had to intervene outside of their circumstance to save them. And that is grace. Did God require anything of them to do so that they might be saved? No, they, they were lost. And God saves them. And he delivers them out of slavery. And then, this, you see the beauty of God? He saves them and then he gathers them. And he says in Exodus 19, once they're out of slavery, he wants to bring them together into relationship with him. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And here's my law. Here's my loving covenant of grace, which will bring you to goodness and life as you live in relationship with me. But you see, they saved first before God gives them any law. They saved first before God requires anything of them. It's completely on the basis of, of grace that you fully accepted that you fully loved that you fully delighted in apart from any performance or earning and God requires nothing from them it's all based on grace and now in his love and in his providence he wants to guide them in his life-giving ways into the promises of the promised land that's when he gives his law and it's not to suppress it's not to steal your joy it's not to prevent you from having fullness of life it's to give you life it's to set you free and they should respond to this gracious gift of deliverance with thanksgiving and praise, free from the burden of performance. And Christmas is a reminder to you this morning that you are being set free from performing and self-justification and that you can rest in the peace of God, in the love of God, and the grace of God. We need Christmas because we forget the grace.
We forget the grace of God. And it sucks the life out of us. And we drift away from the jetty of God's grace. And Christmas is bringing us back. Isaiah 9, 6, one of the defining passages of Christmas. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. There's this gift. It's a gift of grace. And grace isn't a theology. Grace isn't a philosophy. Grace isn't a methodology. Grace is a person. And he's called Jesus. And he's the only one who can solve our problem of forgetfulness. He's the only one who can solve us and deliver us out of slavery to sin. And he is a mighty, powerful, righteous king over all of creation. And he has come in grace that we might live in the peace and the grace of God. We didn't ask for it. None of us asked for it. None of us thought we deserved it. God comes at Christmas of his own volition. God enters into time and space out of his own love. Romans 5, 6. You see at just the right time when we were still powerless, while we were still lost in Egypt, Christ dies for the ungodly. Christ saves you. And God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. We forget the grace of God. And it sucks the life out of us. And if you feel bored, apathetic, indifferent, if you feel hard done by, it's because you've forgotten. You've forgotten the saving acts of God. You've forgotten the mighty grace and love of God. And no longer can you delight. No longer can you be thankful because there's nothing to be thankful for. And Christmas is a call to remind you and remind us this morning that grace has come and salvation is here. Repent. The Bible says, turn back, believe, receive again, and that you might delight that you are absolutely loved, accepted, and forgiven as you are right now. And that would grip your heart and transform you to live according to the righteous requirements of God. And that's what he lastly reminds us with. There's this slippery slope that Israel found themselves on and forgetting the salvation of God, forgetting how to relate to God, ultimately means we forget what God requires of us. We don't know what to do. And chaos ensues. We forget what God has called us to. We forget the, 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 the lives that he's called us to. And we see in Micah a society that is destroyed by corruption. There is no love. There is no mercy. There is no justice. There is no grace. A society that rejects the law of God. And Micah reminds them, verse 8. Essentially what he's doing is, he says, He showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require you? See, they've forgotten again. They've forgotten what God asks of them because they've forgotten everything along the way and you just drift off down river. And he says, I require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And this famous verse of Micah is simply a summary of the law. He's, re- he's referring back to a moment in the history in Deuteronomy chapter 12 where he says, what does God require of you? Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. It's the, what does God require of you? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, to walk humbly with him. What does Jesus do? He says the same thing as Deuteronomy 12. Jesus says the same thing as Micah. What is the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. That's the greatest command. And the second one is to love your neighbor. And that's what Micah says. The greatest command here is to humbly work, walk with God. To walk humbly with God is to respond to his saving grace in absolute devotion. Obeying and conforming your life to his purpose and his plan and his law. So that you might enjoy the fullness of God. And please God and enjoy God. Loving God is obeying him in humility and flourishing in his grace. 
So what does God require of us? Is to respond to the grace of God with all of our very being. To love him and obey him and walk faithfully with him. And only when you remind yourself of his saving acts and only when you remind himself of his grace in your life can you truly be loving him and truly humble yourself to this wonderful God, this trustworthy, gracious, sovereign, powerful God. And then only can you live out the second command of loving your neighbor. It's when you walk humbly with God in response to the grace of God, then he says you can act justly and love mercy. To, to do justice is to treat people fairly, with dignity, to treat people with respect and integrity. To, to love mercy is to look upon the weak and the, minor, and the minority with the love and the eyes of God and to give them what God would do through his gracious acts of mercy. And it's only when we realize the love of God to us can we then ex- truly extend the love to our neighbor. And if you're troubled by the mess in your life, if you're troubled by the mess in the world, it's because you have forgotten the righteous requirements of God to love God and love your neighbor. And you've forgotten of his love. You've forgotten of his grace. You've forgotten of his salvation. And you're unable then to love the world and fulfill the righteous requirements of the life-giving purpose that God has called us to as individuals and as a church. And Christmas reminds us of how God has loved us. Christmas reminds us of how God has completely humbled himself to the will and obedience of his Father's will. Christmas reminds us that God gave up his divine rights and privileges in complete obedience that we might receive the mercy that Micah speaks of. That God would come and he takes pity on us and his merciful compassion to a lost world. That God would come as a righteous king to reign and to rule and to deal with the sin of the world and to deliver his people into freedom. And Christmas reminds us that this is our only hope. And it starts with remembrance. We must remember today the saving acts of God. We must remember the grace of God and we must remember the righteous life-giving requirements that God has called us to, to love mercy and act justly. We must remember that God in his gracious love has come to save. He's come to deliver you out of slavery in his graciousness, in his mercy and in his righteousness. And we lose our way like Israel when we forget And may this Christmas be a monument of remembrance in your life. May this Christmas open afresh the doors to allow the floodgates of God's grace to flood in afresh. Bringing joy, bringing life, bringing peace, bringing healing, bringing freedom. Enjoying the very presence of the Savior with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help so badly. We need you. Would you enlighten us? Would you fill us with your spirit again? As your your word says, incline our hearts towards you. Away from selfish gain. Incline our hearts towards you. Your word tells us, satisfy our hearts with your loving kindness. That we would sing for joy and be glad all day long. Your word tells us, would you unite our hearts to fear your name. That we might walk in obedience to your ways. Holy Spirit, would you awaken us? Would you warm our hearts afresh? Would you liberate us from our amnesia and remind us, overwhelm us, 
Satisfy us, fill us afresh, that we might be sent and respond to you with thanksgiving, that we might live righteously and act justly, that we might live humbly and walk with you in obedience and enjoy the fullness of the pleasure of the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, this Christmas. Would you help us? Would you lift us up? Would you remind us? And would your saving grace be upon us in fresh and new powerful ways?